Welcome to Leadership Backstage, a series of unique conversations with leaders about their role today and tomorrow. Hi, my name is Tricia Schroeder-Hohenwald. I am an executive coach, an organizational consultant, and the owner of DSH International HR. Another podcast about leadership, seriously? Yes, but somehow different. Over the years, I have been involved in lots of discussions about leadership. What it is, what it is not, what it will be, what it should be, and so on. But from my perspective, far too little open discussions have taken place with leaders about this subject. This is what I want to change here. I want to give leaders a voice, listen to what they say, and see what we can all learn from each other. And also, I have worked with many great leaders in the confidential space of our coaching sessions. But this time, it's not a conversation behind closed doors. The leaders here have accepted to share their thoughts openly, and I hope you will enjoy this backstage view on leadership. Yeah, nice to talk to you. Very nice to, to be able to have this conversation with you about leadership. You are a dear person to me and also this organization is something I have been uh, following for a very long time. It's a very, very well-known organization in this field. And I think that we're going to have a, a nice conversation. I, I look forward to it. So, um, Elia, talk to me first about, about your role and, and about this organization for those who don't know it. Okay, so um, I'm Eliat, as you said. I am the Chief Executive Officer of the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, which is based in London and is a 71 years old, independent, uh, not-for-profit research and consultancy outfit. So the Tavistock Institute celebrated with a with a big uh, festival of four days, its 70th anniversary last year. So this time last year, we were absolutely in the last minute of preparations of the four-day festival, which was um, a very big deal on many ways, in many levels. So first of all, we not only celebrated 70 years, coincided it with the released first batch of catalogued archives. So uh, a few years previously, we started the process of transferring all of our um, historical documents to the Welcome Library, which is um, a house of archives. And we started the process of also cataloging various work of the Tavistock Institute. So we cataloged, at the point of release last year, we had uh, cataloged the work from the 40s, so from 1947 when the Institute was first uh, initiated to the late 70s. So basically, by the festival, we had already some work from the 80s. And that is very significant because, as you know, the Tavistock Institute is responsible for quite a lot of theory and practice around organizational development, organizational research, action research, organizational design, and, uh, and so on. But a lot of us are uh, very familiar and working with, and perhaps don't even know that the foundation 
has started at the Tavistock Institute. Elia, may I just interrupt you? I just wanted to, to ask you something. Because we are talking about this institute, we take a moment to have a look at the institute and why I chose this institute, and then uh, continue with your personal journey in this organization, oh. as a leader and, and, and as a CEO. You started with this work for 70 years, and it's, it's an organization with a very specific tradition and a very specific and very specific roots. This organization started in 1947, is it right? Well, started even before. Tavistock Group started in the 20s and they, they would call themselves the Tavistock because they were based on Tavistock Square, which is in, in central London. So that was the very, very first thing from where they were working. And they were a bunch of a mixture of psychiatrists and social scientists. And one of the first things that, that they worked on was engaging soldiers who were coming back from the First World War and working on rehabilitation and integrating them back lightly. And what developed from that is what is known today as shell shock or post-traumatic disorder. That was the work of the very first group back in the 20s. So in fact, in 2020, the Tavistock Enterprise is celebrating 100 years. What happened then is they um, moved to the building which is very well known, especially in the psychotherapeutic community in the world, which is based in Belside Park and is known as the Tavistock Center or the Tavistock Clinic. And in 1946, the National Health Service was founded in the UK and all the clinicians became part of that, whereas the social scientists formed what is known to date as the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations. And they focused more on social research and consultancy, experiential learning, uh, professional development, all the things that we still do today. And in fact, some historians have called the Tavistock Institute one of the first startups in the world because they, they, the first money that they got was from the Rockefeller Foundation that offered them basically a startup grant. They continued to share the building until the 1990s. So a, a lot of people still today would confuse the Tavistock Clinic, which trains psychoanalytic psychotherapists, with the Tavistock Institute relationship, which is also known as the Tavistock Institute of Marital Studies that work with couples. And the third is us, the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, which is more more to do with research and organization and work. And then um, was working at the time a lot in areas of looked after children. All over the generation we worked with um, mostly, not directly with people in need, but with people who work with people in need and um, with organizations like schools and hospitals and care homes. Uh, work around the relationship between human and technology um, as it evolved over the over the course of the decades and uh, still to date principles of social technical systems action research very much based on uh, methods from anthropology and sociology so always engaging with the interfaces of between the individual and the group or the community or the larger society tell me Elia when I look at what you're doing and what you're explaining about the history of this organization I could imagine and some people just ask, well, what's the link with leadership, the social sciences? Where's the link? 
Yeah, so the link is in the core concept of the Tavistock Institute, which has to do with role. And leadership development is a core part of our training anyway, of what we do. Yeah, you may have heard about the Leicester conferences yes. and the group relation program, yes. uh, which is where we teach through experience rather than through traditional methods about, about the relationship between task and role and group and individual. So the role of a leader, the role of a follower as part of the wider dynamic is one of our core elements of teaching as well. But we don't teach most of the time. We teach sometimes in traditional ways, but most time our programs will be either purely experiential or at least partly experiential. And for that, we use one of our core ways of thinking is system psychodynamics. So we pay a lot of attention to the dynamics like ejection and transference. So when when working with leaders, for example, we will help them think about themselves and what is happening to them and how they take up their role from a psychodynamic point of view as well. So looking at what is happening perhaps unconsciously, not only consciously and rationally. Mm. It also is linked to be a uh, will be on first analyst who um, wrote a lot about uh, understanding groups and working in groups and he developed a number of relevant concepts for leadership to do with representation and to do with valence. So the idea that in any group context, each person has a role that they take up on behalf of the group. So in that, does the leadership act in that even if perhaps you're not the designated leader but you might for example be the one who has the role of facilitating a group so and and the person who will take up that role would normally have a valency for that meaning that um, this is a way of being in the world a way of engaging with people that they have learned um, to survive and to and to thrive in the world from when you were little. So perhaps your role in the in your family of origin was already the one who will be the go-between or the mediator. And then you find yourself in life as you develop and do whatever you do. You somehow are perplexed by finding yourself time and time again in that role. So in our method, you will learn to reflect on the relationship between the two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and um, now you're not only a consultant, you, you're also a leader for this organization. You started about 11 years ago, that's right? Yeah. Okay, so about 10 years ago. Can you can you tell us a little bit about your leadership journey uh, before at the beginning and, and, and after starting in this organization? <laughs> and when I joined the organization, I joined as a consultant. So I was already in working here from 2005. Uh, it was in, in fact, it was October 2008 that I was appointed as the institute director, first as an interim and then on a fixed term and then on a permanent position as the as the CEO. I was um, fairly fairly young and I was fairly uh, in, inexperienced in the, in the sense of the 
day-to-day management task of a CEO, I knew pretty well my practice and my personal identity. But as a manager of the whole organization, it was quite a steep learning curve. Yeah, given that it was October 2008 that I was appointed, you can already guess that one of the first things that happens to me was that the financial market collapsed around me, uh, more or less in my first or second month at work in, in my role. And um, everybody is affected by that, as you know. But of course, when you work uh, in, in the work that we do, we're very much affected by what happens around us politically and socially. Why? Why? What, what is the impact? Because we do a lot of work for, for various government bodies and organizations in the UK and, and in Europe. And some of our work is more widely international. And because our work is um, research and education-based, uh, it can have an impact on us either way. So sometimes when when the economy is, is um, weak, um, in, in education, in fact, there might be a growth. So one of the first challenges to me was really to find a way to keep us above water, really, so we don't drown. Um, it was obviously, it was difficult. How did you do it? So um, we are multidisciplinary in the organization, which is one of the things that I have always held as our one of our biggest strengths, which is we cover amongst us a range of areas. So if some areas of work are weaker for some reason or another, we can look for work in other areas. So one of the things to do was, took me quite a few years, I would say, to bring a certain level of integration across the organization because it was working um, very uh, separately. So the consultants were very separate from the researchers and from uh, the people who were uh, doing our professional development training. In fact, we, in fact, our professional development offer as a whole, the courses that we do, uh, is one of our biggest um, growth areas in the last 10 years so um, that's one thing I did and so sorry Ilya, knowing what you know about leadership social systems and how this all work unconsciously how did it help you to to bring the change in in the organization and to integrate how did you do that well I I relied a lot on developing a culture where dependencies are understood and where colleagues have opportunities to input into change, to take on and change processes, so to lead themselves. I never took the position that I need to know everything. I always took the position that I need to have enough understanding and enough input into, well, to have in-depth knowledge of some aspects of the work that I can do, but because of the nature of the organization, I can't know about everything. And to know that I have good people leading in areas where I know less about and to enable them to have that leadership. So I cha- one of the first things I changed was the structure of the management group. I, in fact, made it a bit bigger. I opened it, I opened it to a mix between people who are, who, who are from the support group, but also input from the practitioners. I, I, in, I opened up 
platforms for dialogue. So, so we had new regular meetings where we would have more increased opportunity for participation. You know, we are um, a diverse organization, but in the end of the day, fairly small. And it was always very important for me that people felt that they had a voice. And, and also there's a learning for people when they're invited to have a voice they're all they're invited to bring their voice constructively so not only complaining and moaning but also to to come up with constructive constructive solutions or ways forward um you know and i'm i'm, I'm giving you a shorthand a, a lot of the things took years some things you can do over more or less overnight, but some things um, looking backwards, you think, oh my God, you know, we started all of that. Now it's almost taken for granted. And new people who come to the organization don't know that it was ever any different. Mm. How old were you when you started as a CEO in this company? Well, I was 30, I was 37. Yes, you were one of the team and you became CEO. So how were you accepted in this role? Uh, I suppose yes and sometimes no. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, on the whole, yes, because uh, I think the, um, the general view was that it was very important for this place to have somebody who is highly relational and a people's person. And on that, I think I got a fairly high vote all around um but then of course i also had a lot to learn uh, but one of the first things i had to do was um cross an impasse between um the pension trustees and the institute's management because they were not really on sticking terms and and the pension is is one of the main things that has to have attention because not sorting it out is a big risk for the business. So one of the first things I did was bring all these people around the table together. And then I had to learn quite a lot about uh, things that I had no idea about. Like how you calculate and understand a pension deficit and actuarian concept. And uh, for example, I remember that in one of those meetings, I heard the word guilt a lot, guilt. And and I thought, oh, that's very interesting that all these uh, finance people seem to understand that there's a connection between money and guilt and it was only later that I realized that guilt spelled G-I-L-T is something completely different (laughs) to do with investment it's nothing to do with the emotional guilt that I was thinking about. That's interesting interesting what are the different ways we learn along the way in our journey? Yes and also I think because I was suddenly you know entering the organization from a completely different angle. You have been in this role um, for a purpose there was a reason why a group of people decided that uh, you should lead this company how how often did your role was confirmed every five years or every three years or how does it work My first appointment was for six months i was an interim and then the trustees or the council of the non-executive board had to and decide whether they wanted to open it out more externally or not and after six months, they decided that they were very happy with the first six months. So they gave me a two-year 
fixed term appointment. After the two years, they gave me, uh, they made another um, assessment and they decided to give me a permanent position. Mm. So I've been now uh, seven years, or more or less seven years in a, in in this a permanent position. Yeah. yeah. I have, obviously, I have my annual review with a chair. So I'm part of the process, like the rest of my colleagues. We have annual appraisals and so on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the last years, what were the next steps for you as a, as a CEO of this organization? After things have stabilized, what were the next challenges or topics that you, that you found in your role? Well, I'm, I'm not sure it's a clear cut like that, Teresa. I think it's more the, um, the, the issue of getting enough work in this small organization are always ongoing. Finding ways to keep the organization always at the forefront of its field, the position of it as a cutting edge organization is always something that we have to keep our eye on. And you know, you can never sit and rest and say, okay, this is now job done. It's never like that. Mm-hmm. And we always have um, to think about something new and to be innovative. The work towards the festival and then the festival itself were also a great achievement in that sense because it was very innovative and cutting edge in its own way. It involved the public engagement. We were out there to, to open to anybody and we worked across not only our existing disciplines but we worked with the arts world, with theatre, with performance, with dance, with various other um, activities we engaged uh, so in that sense and we are also engaged in the academic world uh, you know we run a very successful um, uh, academic journal publication human relations um, and to keep alive the connection between the institute and the journals it is also something that we always always pay attention to and then um there, there are always changes in in people you know people come people go although we don't have we don't have a, a very big turnover i'm very happy to say people like working here and we we have very interesting work and but we also try to grow and we need with in the last three years we've had um, quite a few people joining us which gave us an opportunity to win work in new areas and also to develop new professional development and offers or new courses so yeah and there's still quite a few things for me to do i think quite a few visions uh, that i would like to achieve um, would you like to share one or one or two of them that you it's okay to share and um, yeah maybe one one of the things that i would quite like us to succeed in doing is perhaps finding us a new home because i think we have been uh, you, you know i don't know if you had a chance to read my papers being an orphan uh, but that's part of the institute's core identity, uh, the orphan. So I would quite like us to have uh, our own home again and maybe have a, a bigger space where we can incorporate more easily uh, the, the work that we have developed with the arts, uh, including fine arts and object work and um, movement and embodied work, because we developing quite a lot our embodying self and embodying role identity. Mm-hmm. 
So what I'm hearing from the different activities that you have is a very broad scope of activities. What is the link between yeah. all these? Link between all is in our statement of existence, which is our core purpose, which is our public benefit. You know, so the the the, the core identity of the institute is to well to to, to promote well-being and to promote betterment of work individual in the work context and communities. Mm -hmm. So this is the point of the Tavistook Institute. All the work that we do always has to deal with the question, okay, how is this making things better? How are we increasing insight or uh, increasing understanding of? So education in a sense, but education for the purpose of bettering the conditions of individuals in their organization and social context. Mm. Today, after after all these years of experience, how would you define leadership from your perspective, your role as a, a leader? I think it's to do with um, being very clear, well, on, on being able to answer the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or the relationship between the purpose, the task, and, and the role, so how you take it up. So, uh, what, why, and how, in a way, and it questions that you know always have an answer which must also be permanent but also temporary at the same time. So you have to be able to always evaluate and reevaluate. I think, I think in leadership you also need to be able to take yourself lightly, and in that I mean that. Uh, Although you might be at the forefront, but you are not there necessarily the center of attention or the main person in a, in a way. You are an enabler. I think a good leader is an enabler for others to also do the best and be the best that they can be. Can you share with us how you translate it for yourself? This, this definition of leadership, this approach of leadership that you're describing, how do you live that in your role? Well, I, hope, I think um, to a certain degree you probably need to ask my colleagues if I do that, but I think I do that partly by always ensuring that I also have um, maintained from also a practice, so, not on, so I also have targets and and so on, like others in the organization, I also have to grapple with the actual work. I think that's very important for a professional to have a practice. Mm -hmm. So that's one aspect. And then always in that practice to work with other people. So to enable, to, to, you know, to also keep a degree of humility. I know enough, I can give an overview, but some things, so-and-so knows much better than me and uh, I, I would make sure that there are lots of opportunities for other people to come forward to present in conferences, to write papers, to publish, to go and network, to go to events, to, to have, um, yeah, all of these, to have presentations, to go abroad on various missions, yeah. Mm -hmm. Centered around me. Mm -hmm. Well, what else 
if you look at the future and the future of your leadership role, what else would you like to develop in yourself or to learn further? What, what are the next steps for your own leadership development? So I'm in the middle of completing um, a, a, a course in a company direction. So I'm, uh, it's a three-stage qualification before you become chartered. And it's part of the Institute of Directors here in the UK. So it's a very uh, traditional British body. So I would quite like to complete that because I think on the whole, something about me and also something about the Tavistock has a bit of an eccentric or out-of-the-box identity. And I put it as one of my targets to also do something which is not like that, which is a bit more traditional and conventional and maybe conservative with a small thing. So I've I've done two out of the three three steps. I need to do um, step number three in order to become started. And then I think uh, as part of my leadership role, I think it would be very good for me to have some non-executive director's role, so to be either a trustee in in another charity or to have a non-executive role in another kind of a company to give me an experience of the other side of the governance. It's uh, yeah, continuing to grow in your leadership and your business understanding as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm, nice. You, you are leading um, a company, an organization with a very, very strong roots. How do you manage this balance between past and future, between tradition and modern? How do you deal with both without losing your identity? That's a tension that um, could have been an obstacle, but I think what we've managed to do, and very much so in this last year and a half or two years through the festival, which was exactly a lot, exactly working with tension very vividly, was. Um, and reimagining human relations in our times was the title of the festival, so it's exactly working with that tension. I think could have got, could have been an obstacle, but we've transformed it into a, a creative endeavor. So that's what we are, I think, continuing to do. Mm-hmm. Are yeah, you are you involved in those um, other aspects of the changes in organisations, which are related to um, on the one hand, digital changes, artificial intelligence, yeah. and on the other hand, um, the yeah, maybe less and less leadership in the classical sense and more and more collective intelligence. So how do you manage with those two topics that are... Yeah, there are quite a few um, different types of projects that um, we're involved in. We have, I have quite a few colleagues who are very interested in the digital dimension. Uh, so we engage with that both from, through our work and through our own being. Uh, our website is, is really strong. Our social media team is very engaged, very lively. Uh, that's another area, by the way, where I'm really happily uh, dependent on colleagues. Um, 
And uh, so, so yeah, I think because we have part of our root is also in understanding socio-technical dynamics, uh, it, it, it lends itself quite easily to modernizing that in today's technological world as well. So uh, we would pay very naturally attention to the to the difference and, 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 and both positive and constructive and otherwise in um, in the changing relationships, you know, matrix organizations, global organizations, but hardly have any face-to-face -face interactions uh, and so on. But I think that we also try to maintain a part of us which continues to believe in face-to-face -face. and the last the conference is probably a prime example you know it's all well to find other ways of working but every once in a while it's extremely important to continue to do the very classic work of face-to-face -to -face, touch smell hear see and dimension of relationships. So it's not replaceable. I think we would say that even though we can do many other things, but some things you can only learn through being embodied. So mm. what about the the other aspect which is um those organizations which are trying to break classical hierarchy? Can you imagine this for the Tavistock Institute? So the Davidson Institute has quite a flat structure anyway. Um, people's, most people are, um, well, all people really need quite a high degree of capacity to work autonomously as it is. So this is by definition of the kind of work that we do. Uh, we need a high level of maturity in the organization in that sense. Uh, the management team comprises of the, the basic roles that every organization needs to have. So you, you have, yes, the CEO, the head of finance, the head of operations, the business development manager, and the company secretary. And then we have two members of the management team who are from the professional team who um, rotate on a base on a more or less on an annual basis. So um, once a year they would submit an application to join the management team and then uh, join it for a year, <coughs> typically for a year. Sometimes there's more competition, sometimes less. So some people have done maybe two years. And the other thing is that we have a lot of other opportunities to lead in the organization. We have a, a, a SWOT structure in the organization. So we, we have a business area that people lead on. We have strategic initiatives that people lead on. And then they have monthly meetings uh, where they meet as the group with their profession with their business development and the head of finance and then they have um, I think termly meetings where they provide their, their current strategic document and, and they present it in front of to me in front of the rest of the 
what we call the leaders group. So we already have a very um, collective leadership structure. Uh, but, but of course, I, I, I also think that a certain degree of hierarchy is also important. An organization can't do away with, um, with the hierarchy altogether because there are some lines of accountability uh, that some people have more than others. And, and I think it, it doesn't have to be an either or. Mm. Have you observed this kind of development in, the, in your environment or would you say the clients around you, the companies that you've worked for are still very much into a classical hierarchy structure? No, I think it depends where, where organizations are. I think matrix organizations where people have um, cross-cutting relationships and sometimes you're the boss of X, but sometimes X is your boss in relation to another project. I think nowadays are probably pretty common. Mm -hmm. Even in hospitals, which traditionally are very hierarchical, the, the structures have had to change and, and they're much more network structured and more flat in terms of their hierarchical relationship because I think there's been quite a recognition in the world of work that people are more interdependent. Mm. We're coming clo closer to the end and I uh, uh, would love to, to give you the chance just to think about what else would you like to, to share about, about the topic of, of leadership? Something that you would like to share with people who are listening to you based on your experience, based on your thoughts about leadership? Um, I'm not too sure, but maybe, maybe, maybe I would like to say maybe one sentence about the relationship between love and leadership. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because I've, I've written a little bit about that and I've spoken a bit about the relationship between love and leadership and, and the idea that Oh, the idea that um, in a way it might sound a bit cheesy but the idea that love is really at the heart of the capacity to maybe to admit or to acknowledge that um, um, love is a very fundamental affect I would say in the um, in the endeavor called leadership. So maybe I would offer that um, if, if, if you find your love, you will also find that ethics that is required for um, a, a good act of leadership or an effective act of leadership. It's about Finding love for what you do, and, and but also for colleagues, for for the for the work, and also for that notion called an organization, because I think or, or system, because I think a lot of the time um, we behave in a way that uh, almost divorces us from our 
accountability. From to our that, accountability? Accountability to, to that to um, to that system. So so uh, often when we are unhappy with the organization that we're in or with the system that we are part of, we we maybe blame or say oh it's like this and like that. But what we don't think about so much is what what is our contribution to that? What have we done to find ourselves in this place where we are? So I think if at that point you reconnect with love, then you reconnect with um, that question as well. No, no, it is beautiful. Love, love and leadership. That's a, that's a beautiful closing for for this uh, conversation. Thank you so much, Elia. Thank you so much for sharing oh, uh, your knowledge and your experience with us. I hope that um, uh, the audience will will forgive us the technical aspects uh, in 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 this um, audio, and I hope they will they will hear you re really well because I enjoyed talking to you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for your um, great work of recording and having to edit. And uh, I look forward to hearing it. And the others, I look forward to hearing the other three that you have in the series. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. That was another edition of Leadership Backstage. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if you want to know more about me or have a conversation with me, you can get in touch via dsh-internationalhr.com.